And we're going to continue in the Word this morning. Uh, we're going to finish up this series we've been working on for six weeks today. And I'm, I've been so excited. This, this whole thing, we talked about you know, the going into the land that you don't yet know already this morning. We talked about the uncertainty, the discomfort. And I've shared with you already that in this series, uh, many of us who are entering into the journey through family groups and through Sunday mornings and whatever, were uncomfortable with where God was going to take us on this whole thing. We were uncomfortable with where, what God was going to do in our hearts and our lives, with the things he was going to challenge us with. And, uh, and yet the truth is that he's been faithful throughout this whole journey. He's been so faithful. And, um, and so I pray that's been your experience as well. And so today we're going to kind of talk, uh, we're going to continue, we're going to talk about the, the main thing, right? I mean, that's what we're here for today. We're going to talk about the core idea, the, 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 the nugget at the center, the, the, the biggest part, you know, of, uh, of, of our belief as followers of Jesus Christ. It, it's important to understand a fundamental truth about something. I mean, when we enter into um, a new situation, new experience, there's this, there's this show on TV. We don't get it anymore. We used to. And it's called How Stuff Works. Have you ever seen How Stuff Works? And it's kind of like this, it almost reminds me of, um, and there's a few of them, like how it's made or, or whatever, but it's almost like an industrial type video and they show like how things happen. But, but there's some kind of curiosity that we have as humans that when we see it explained, we're like, wow, that makes a lot more sense. I know how it works now. It's not just this magic thing. And it can be anything from something very, uh, you know, passe or boring to anything that's really crazy and exciting, how stuff works. And our family, I'm not sure if you're the same way, but we, we love those shows. We watch them all the time. And, um, and some of the things that's important to know how it works, some of the things we used to take by faith, we go, you know, just it's going to work for me. And I'll give you one example. If you've ever, and we're going to do this when we go to Guatemala, but if you've ever flown in an airplane and you don't know how that works, you're just doing it based on faith, right? You're doing it, to, I've seen people do it, it seems to make sense. You know, uh, some of us are white knuckle flyers, you know, like that. Um, some of us have that two drink minimum before we fly. Um, and, and, but what's funny is you get in there and you realize, and, and there's a reality that you have given yourself over to a process that you don't fully understand. Now, here's what's really cool about flying. If you go through high school, someone explains to you how airplanes work. You know, one of my favorite quotes, I can't think of where, where I heard this from, but it was my favorite quotes. Um, they were talking about airplanes flying and lift and drag, you know, and you got drag on the plane, you got lift that, that with the wind going over the wing and under the wing, it creates this, this pressure up on the plane and the plane flies up, you know. And this guy was talking to people who were afraid to fly. They were terrified. They were morbidly afraid. They couldn't even get near an airport. They were terrified. And he was giving them lessons in, in uh, how to overcome their fear of flying. And he said, I'm sure for many of you, you, you know, I like to fly over the wings, do any of you guys like to fly over the wings? And No? I like it because you can watch those things flex out there. I'm like, wow! You know, because I'm just like that. This is crazy. But this guy says to them, he says, I'm sure if you've flown and you're afraid to fly, you look out there and you see that wing, and you think your biggest nightmare is to see that wing snap off and fall. <laughs> right? That's your biggest nightmare. He goes, I got news for you. You don't ever have to worry about that again. Because when wings snap off of airplanes... They go up and you go down. Because a lift, they don't fall off, they fall up. You go down. So he goes, if they're going down, you're fine. If, if, if you're going, then you're in trouble. Then you got to be afraid. Okay. So I'm sure I didn't help you out at all if you're afraid of flying. But uh, 
Watch the wings. So there's something about knowing how it works, though, that helps you understand that you go, yes, okay, this makes sense to me. This makes sense to me. Uh, there's many things in life that are like that, that you want to get to the core, to the absolute, you want to know inside. And the more important the thing is, the more important is you understand how the central uh, function works. You got to know that how, it, how it works. It's too important. It's too important. So today we're going to talk about this same uh, idea with regards to being followers of Jesus Christ. That who we are here on a Sunday morning, why we get out of bed and don't sleep in, why we get up on a Monday morning with the same passion and fire in our hearts that we come into this place with, why we, we know what we know about the God of the universe is the central truth of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today and the reality of that today. But I want to bring up one other point before we kind of dig into this topic, and, and, uh, and it's this. We have in, in us this sense of um, justice and injustice, and we've talked about this last week, actually. If you were here last week, we talked about it a little bit. But I was thinking about something that happened recently, and it was a bit of a, a, a controversy. Actually, I was surprised at how little controversy there was about this. But as you know, if you live here in the state of Illinois, right, a few weeks ago, our governor uh, repealed the death penalty, Right? And, and I know it was, it was a, I mean, I couldn't believe how it went kind of just, now I don't have, you know, television anymore, so I can't watch the news. I don't know if it's a big scandal on the news, but I just couldn't believe there wasn't more people freaking out about this in the state of Illinois. Um, because the truth is that when you do something, this is the second time it's happened in our state and, you know, all that stuff. But when you do something like that, there's an immediate result. There's something that's happened in that. And I'll tell you kind of two sides of this coin. The first is that for, for um, those folks who were waiting for death, those folks who were on death row and been waiting for years to die, those folks who have been trying to commute their sentences or trying to do all this stuff, there's an immediate result for them, right? But the flip side, and I, this is what I saw people write about, uh, some people who, who kind of dug into this topic said, what about the victims? What about the families, right? Because there is no justice, in this. You see, because there was, a, there was a decision, there was a ruling, there was going to be this retribution, there was going to be this justice, and then with, they say, the, the sweep of a pin, with the, the political you know, movement, with whatever this had happened, all of a sudden, whew, some people feel that justice was undone. Undone. And you've you got to imagine that as, as someone who would know someone who was affected, see, it's all theoretical for you and I. It's all out there somewhere. But for those folks who, were, who have been rightly decided upon as guilty, who have been properly sentenced by a jury of their peers to die, for the folks who, who were sitting there and who finally felt like, yes, all the heartache and the, and the uh, you know, pain is coming to some result, there's injustice. And that's a very hard thing to realize. And what I want you to understand, and see, I don't know where you are today, because some of you on that decision might be like, Whew, we're not going to you know, take their life. And some of you might be like, come on, what's wrong with us? Isn't anything you know, bad enough anymore? The truth is that no matter which side that you're on, you're experiencing some kind of a, what, disequilibrium, uh, I can't even say it. You're uncomfortable with the justice that's happening. You're being offended a little bit. 
on either side of that. So I wanted you to get that in your mind today as we begin to, to think about the core issue of Christianity. I want you to put that idea of justice in your head, of, of right and wrong and, and good and bad and, and, and you know, proper, uh, of a right-fitting punishment. So the, what we're going to talk about today is, is a kind of a big idea, but I want to I throw this out to you. So the reality is that... Um, the first is that any time uh, you have so something that uh, makes appropriate payment, so like you, we have this, uh, these decisions were handed down and, and the juries felt like this was an appropriate decision by the peers, this was an appropriate deal, you, you have something called atonement, right? That's the word that we're going to use today, atonement. And atonement, and I've heard someone say one time that atonement means like at one minute, you know, reconciliation kind of, but atonement really means paying the price for justice, Paying the price for a wrong or an evil. And so the first idea is that there's appropriate payment made. And that's where some of us get tweaked about this decision because you go, that's not appropriate for the crime that was committed. Justice has not been served. It's been undone. And the second idea we're going to talk about besides atonement and I want you to get that in your heads. We got justice and we got atonement. And the second idea is this, is substitute, a substitute, right? And for many of you when I say a substitute, you might think about um, things like school or I don't know what it is for you, you know. I always think about school with a teacher that comes in, you know, because the, the main teacher's sick and you've got to step up and sub, right? Uh, some other idea is, uh, some other way you can think about this is we got softball signups today, you know, and the... The, we have a sub list. We have a regular player list and a sub list. And the sub list is really only guys who aren't going to play all the time but are going to be willing to come up if we call them and say, hey, we need you to step up. Can you step up? And the idea of a substitution literally means to stand in someone else's place. Now, this makes sense, right? This is pretty easy stuff. So you got justice, you got the atonement, and you got substitution. And what we're going to talk today, and, it's, and it becomes a big word, we're talking about substitutionary atonement. We're going to put those words together and talk about substitutionary atonement. Someone standing in a place that they don't deserve to stand to pay for a price that has to be paid. The core idea of Christianity. The core truth to what we believe about Jesus. And so I want to throw it out there. It's going to be a little bit of hard work, but I promise you, if, you, if, if this is too important, too, too important to not think through at some point in your life, to not think through the reality. Because for many of us, and I'm telling you, I stood outside of the church for a long time, and I didn't get what it was about. I didn't understand what they were talking about. And, and uh, a lot of the stuff they were talking about was nonsense. And I don't mean it was nonsense like it didn't make sense to me. I mean it was worthless. But this truth about Jesus Christ is the core of the gospel that we have. And so it's important that we understand this and we talk about this and we know, we know for us what this means. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the Bible here and kind of see, because I know some of you, you think, you're, you know, like some of you haven't read a Bible in a while, and you're thinking, I don't know what's in there, but I want to, I want to take a, uh, a walk today, and we're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to walk right through Scripture, because I want you to see that, that this idea of substitutionary atonement isn't something we're just thinking up. It's not just something like a new idea that we've come up with today. But before we enter the Word of God, I'm going to ask you to enter in a prayer with me. We always do this, because God is faithful, and He is listening to our hearts. So join me today in praying. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity we have today to engage in a conversation with you. 
I pray today, Father God, that the words of my lips are an honor and service to you, that, that you are the one that's glorified through everything that happens today. I pray today that if we're here to argue with somebody, we would be willing to argue with you. I pray that if we're reluctant, we'd be reluctant to you. I pray that if we're submitting, we'll submit to you today. And I pray, Father God, that you would so profoundly open the word, that your Bible, the inspired truth of the gospel of Jesus to our hearts, that we couldn't help but to respond, to know you, to receive your love for us, to respond to the grace you've given to us. And today, Father, I pray that for all the clutter, and we got a lot in our lives, we could set it aside for the next few minutes and just think through a core issue that's absolutely critical to us. It's life or death. Help us with that. Do your will. Have your way as we study your word today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to kind of rock, walk through. By the way, I always say this to you all, but if you're reading the, word, you know, the Bible, you're doing a Bible reading, even if you're not a daily Bible reader, but you're going to open it up, I would encourage you to take a second before you read the words and just pray a prayer to God. Say, God, show me something today in the word. I mean, invite him into the conversation. That's really something that, uh, that's worth doing, and it will transform your time in the Bible. So, so I want to start. I said we're going to start walking through the Bible. We're going to start at the beginning. If you brought your Bible, you can get it out. We're going to kind of um, jump through here a little bit, and we'll stop at a few places, and it won't take us long, I promise. But I want to remind you all that the very beginning, we talked about this last week, that God is the primary mover. The very first thing that the Bible records is uh, that in the beginning, God. Those are the first five words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. I mean, that's before anything else, God. And, and that's the reality. But today I want to talk about the, the truth of who we are with God, how our relationship looks with God. And, and this is the root of it all. Genesis records a story about how the God of the universe breathed life into you and to me. That he spoke the worlds into existence, but he breathed life into us. And so we have this, 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 this birth in, in God, that God has given us life, given us breath, given us um, you know, um, existence in itself. It's just a gift. We didn't deserve he just did it. And, and he gave this to us. And then we, we, we know the story about the, the creation, but we have here this new life breathed into us. And then he not only does he breathe life into us, but he creates this beautiful place to live, which if you weren't amazed yesterday, I was frustrated with the snow, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful this morning. It's even more beautiful now that it's melting, right? Um, but it's beautiful. But, but he's created this kind of space for us to live and to breathe. And I'll tell you something even more profound than that. If you read this story in Genesis, he gives us the ability to make a decision. I mean, from the very beginning, God says, I love you. Make some decisions. And then he gives us some parameters. And you know what the parameters are. I don't have to walk you through that story again. But he kind of says, make some decisions. Know that I love you and I've made you. And you know what else blows me away? And I think fundamentally, we don't believe this because we say things in our culture about one another. But you know what God said about people? Very good. That's what he said. He said, they're very good. People are great. They're beautiful. Love my people. And that was the relationship that we found in the, in the book of Genesis with God. So he has us there in this place, and, um, 
And it's good. And then, and then, and then God started kind of, he says, you know, just in who he is, he's like, hey, by the way, you know, I'm holy and pure and I'm going to give you this, this, you know, just do this one, just stay away from this one area. Just don't do this one thing. And, and, um, and that was in their decision-making capabilities. You know, he, he, he tells um, uh, the first human, just, just make, a, make wise decisions here. And he says, if you don't, if, if, if you make a decision against me, and that's what we have to see about sin, you see, because we want to make excuses about why sin's okay, but sin isn't okay, and it's not because you and I think it's okay or not okay. We don't get to write the rules about what's okay with God. God writes those rules. And, and God says, if you, if, you make, if you sin against me, there's going to be a problem. And the first thing he says is that all this is going to stop. All this stuff we got going here that's so good is going to stop. And the second he says is that you're going to die. Those are the instructions. I love you. Make some good decisions. If you, if you sin against me, it's going to stop, and you're going to die. And so that's where we find the, um, the story beginning. I'm going, to, I'm going to pull this up, by the way. Now, and today in your engagement sheets, I hope that you grabbed an engagement sheet this morning, and I hope you grabbed a pen. And if you didn't, take a minute. But we're going to kind of walk through this, and this is like a, a beginning of a piece of, uh, of art here this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to kind of journey with me and start to, to fill in some details there on the back of your engagement sheet here. It's just, it's just um, not the purple thing. It's this thing right here, okay? And so we're going to walk through the story of us and God. And so this is where it begins. So now, here's, here's the next thing that happens. So if you've got your engagement sheet this morning, you've got a pen, uh, we're going we're gonna to start to do some work here. And the first thing is this, that we know what happens, that, that there's a choice that's made. And, and, and the result is, is the reality of our lives. And so what we have here is this separation. So I want you to draw that in there. Just take a pen or a pencil and just kind of draw in a couple little lines. They can go all the way to the bottom if you want to be, you know, uh, theologically correct about your drawing. But just kind of draw that in. There's this idea that now this place where we're with God, where we're hanging out with God, is now divided. It's now separated, Right? And we're going to, I know some of you are already itching to say, let's get into the Bible, let's start reading the script, but, scriptures, but I want you to know that it's there, and we're going to talk about it, but I want you to see what happens, because the first thing is, the reality is this, when this, when this wrong choice is made, when the sin is made against God, there's this real deal separation, that God's word is true, and when he says it's separated, it's broken, it becomes broken, just like this, and there's this, there's this gap, now, at this point, some of us would be thinking a couple of things, maybe. The first is we'd be thinking, okay, God said if you disobey, you're going to die. And, and so, why didn't God just go, kazow? Like, why wasn't it the very moment our hearts turned from God? Why wasn't it the very inkling that we began to think that we, we know better than the God who made us? Why didn't God just go, and that was it? He said, you'll surely die. So that's one side of that equation. Maybe you're there. Maybe that's your justice. You're like, hey, God said it. The other side of the justice is this. We're, we're thinking, come on, he loves us, right? He said very good, you know. He said very good, my people. So why didn't he just go, oh, just a little deal. It's just, it's just a small thing. Come here, kids. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't clear when I said, everything but this one thing. But I thought I was clear, you know what? We'll let it go this one time. But next time, he didn't do that. 
He didn't walk away. And I want us to see what God did. What God did. And the first thing, and you can look this up, it's, it's, in, uh, it's in Genesis um, 2. You don't have to turn. That's really easy. It's the very beginning of the Bible. I'm Genesis 3. I'm sorry. But I'm not going to read through there because there's a lot of it. But here's the breakdown of what really happens. God tells his people what the violation means, the list of consequences. And I want to read through them here. He says, there's now going to be fear in your life. You're going to be afraid of some things that you've never been afraid of before. He, he says, um, there's going to be hostility between my creation, right? Not just men and women. He says there's going to be some issues there too. But he says there's going to be issues between the created order and you. There's just this brokenness in the situation now. He says that labor is going to change for human beings. And I don't just mean like, you know, gardening, because that's, that's going to be harder now too. But birth is going to be harder. He says there's labor problems now. Everything's going to get more difficult for the children that I love. And, and then he says, um, uh, there's going to be ego issues. And, and then he says, you're going to get old, right? Congratulations. And you're going to die. He just tells them this is the reality of the situation they're facing. And, and then he, and then he, he has this uh, this moment where it, there's just this brokenness and he's like, and if you continue rebelling, if you continue sinning against me, there is no, there's no way this can be restored. No, nothing you can do to make this right. Here's what I want to do. I want you to open, or actually I'm going to pull up on the screen. You can look if you want um, in your Bibles, but we're going to look at the one, one little verse in Genesis 3 because it's wild to see what it says. Because you'll remember the story about the first sin. And you'll remember what happened when they hid from God. And they tried to make stuff to make themselves look better. You know, they tried to, there's this, all this narrative which is beautiful. And I'd encourage you to read it if you want to spend some time thinking about the reality of how we respond to sin in our life. But here, I want to get into God's response and what he does, you see. Because God, after he tells them the reality consequences, after he tells them what's going to happen, and you know what's happening, he's going to expel them. He's going to throw us out of his kingdom. He's going to, he's going to throw us on the other side of that chasm. He's going to put that divide and say, that's it, right? But I want you to see something that happens. And, uh, hang on, that guy a little ahead of me there. 321. Here we go. So this is what Genesis 321 says. And you can look it up in your Bible if you want. But it says, the Lord God, I'm going to look at it in my Bible. The Lord God, that's Yahweh God, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and dressed them in it. Okay? Now, we can roll right past that verse and go, whatever, what's the big deal, you know? But I want you to remember what was happening in their lives. They were in this beautiful, you know, place. They were in this place of relationship with each other, relationship with God. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. There was no ego. There was, you know, you worked, but it wasn't hard to work. It was a pleasure to work. And all these things were happening. And then into this place, sin enters in. And then we try to cover ourselves. And then here comes God. And look what it says. He made a garment of skin for Adam and his wife. Interesting. Because you know what that means? That means that God took one of the animals he created. He took another piece of his precious creation that he said is good. And he killed it. And he skinned it. And he hung it over the shame and sin of his children. Wow. 
You see, I don't know if you've ever been around that kind of stuff. I mean, most of us, we're in Highland, right? Most of us have seen that kind of stuff in our lives. We've been out in the fields. We've hunted deer or whatever. We've seen animals get processed. <laughs> That's what we call it. But that must have been a mess in the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve stood there and they saw this animal that, that did nothing, did nothing wrong as it kicked and flailed against its creator, they must have been like, what are you doing? This isn't necessary. We got fig leaves, right? We got, we're okay. Just, and he's going, this is the only way I'm sending you out. And he dresses them. And he sends them out of, the, out of this place with him, out of the garden, out of this paradise. Here's what I want you to understand about this verse. That sin is serious. It's serious to God. It's no joke. It's not just the, ah, you know, we'll find a way around the rules. God is serious about sin. And, and whenever he sees his children who sinned against him, and he's providing for them, he's providing a way forward, he kills his own animal and covers them in it. And this becomes a first glimpse at a sin substitution, at a sin solution for the people who he loves so much. So, the next thing in our journey here is that we're put out. And, and there's this idea that we're going to try to come back to God. I, I had that slide up a minute ago, but there's this idea that, that we're going to try this kind of stuff, you know, where we're going to try to run and jump, right? We're going to get a back up far enough from the edge that we're going to take a run and we're going to leap. And this is what a lot of religion is. A lot of religion is us trying to figure out the rules, figure out the right number of steps, figure out how it's going to work so that if we take off at the right possible minute and we jump high enough and we reach hard enough that by some miracle we might be able to grasp the other side and muster up the power to pull ourselves up and be in a right standing with God. But the reality is that this jump isn't, oh, you can't make this. No one has. No one has. And so we have what we call sin and separation from God. We have this distance that can't be overcome. And despite all of our efforts, despite all of our attempts to return to him under our own ability, he is too holy, he's too pure, he's too just, he's too far, and we can't make it. We can't make it. So this is the next thing, because I want you to see that God isn't a liar. Well, after they're covered in these skins and they're put out, what happens is that death comes. And then you see in the Bible, and if you read through the Bible, you start in Genesis, and you start to see what? The generational heritage of the people of God, right? And so death enters the picture, and there's no one escaping that God's judgment is there and is happening actively and every person begins to realize the, the situation that they are now in with the creator of the universe, that death is as sure as taxes. And so here we go with our religion, with running after and, and um, jumping farther. I want to tell you another story. This one you have to turn to. Uh, it's in the, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. I want to remind you as we're turning there, but I'd encourage you to turn there on this one. It's, it's a little bit longer, um, and I just want to share it with you. But 
when we get into the book of Exodus, it's a phenomenal story because it's about oppression and justice. And the story of Exodus at its root is just about that. It's about this regime that's, that's controlling the people of God, that's enslaving the people of God. It's one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament because it has such profound truth in it for us and our slave status. And it has so much truth about God's ability to deliver us out of the hands of our oppressors. That's the business of God in our lives. He removes us. He takes us out from oppression. And that's a huge thing for us that we have to understand. But here, after the 12th, in the 12th chapter of Exodus, we have kind of the culmination of the reality. Because I want you to understand that the people who were the people of God were enslaved and that God had come repeatedly and said, I am going to bring a solution. And the oppressors were not listening to God. I'm not even sure the people of God were listening to God. When he was saying, I will deliver my people out. And you know the story of the plagues. They came one after the other. And God's justice is being weighed heavier and heavier. The scales are getting more and more out of balance as he says, you have to stop. You have to stop. You have to stop. And then when the scales get to a place where God's justice, you know what the word says about God? He's slow to anger. Right? But God is just. And when there's this, this place where the scales are out of balance to a point where God says, that's it. He speaks to his people. I want you to see here in the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Uh, we're going to start in verse 5. You can read this whole thing later, but I want to read a couple of verses. And this is what God tells his people. He speaks and he says, The animals that you choose must be year-old males without defect. They have to be perfect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. And when all the people of the community of, and I'm sorry, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Oh, at that time. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. But basically it says, keep them for the 14th day, and then every one of my people must slaughter this animal. Right? And we know the story, but I want you to see what's happening here. And we're going to pick it up again in, in verse 12. So in verse 12, it says this, On the same night, the same night you slaughter the lamb, I will pass through Egypt, that's the oppressor, and I will strike down every firstborn, both of the men and of the animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see this blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you while I strike Egypt. So here, here is God again providing a solution. And his people have been crying out for mercy, crying out for justice. And what God says is, go into your own flocks and find the best animal you have, the best one, and then I want you to slaughter it. Your prized animal. I want to remind you that these people are slaves. You know how hard it is to muster up the best thing you got? You know how long you must have worked to have that one? That one? Maybe it was the only one you got. Maybe you have nothing else but this one. And God says, on this day, I want you to wait with all my people. And on this day, I want you to slaughter the animal. And I want you to take the blood. And I want you to put it on the doorpost of your house. Now, I want you to see what's happening here. And, and I know some of you are already ahead of me. You're thinking, yeah, I get what's happening. But I, I, I don't know if we do. Because here's the reality. I never thought about this before. But here's the reality. It doesn't say that everyone obeyed him. And it doesn't say that he's going to spare them if they don't. See, I've always assumed 
God speaks, people listen. But God says, I'm telling you what the plan is. Here's the plan. You go out and you find your best and you kill it. And you, and you paint that over your doorpost. And then you wait inside and I will pass over you. But everyone else in Egypt, I want you to hear that. Everyone else in Egypt will lose their firstborn. I wonder if there were people there, like there are people here now that go, ah, really, God? That seems extreme. That seems a bit much. You know, I mean, maybe if the Joneses do it, I'll do it, but I'm not doing it unless the Joneses do it, because that's a little weird. And we know the story. I wonder what the, the people around that family thought. I mean, think about it. You got slaves, they got nothing. And, and on this one magic day, when their magic god told them to go out and kill their magic animal, must have been like, yeah, you guys are stupid. Killing your best animals? And they painted it over their door. I wonder what the kids thought when they saw their dad. Dad, that's the only goat we have. You know? Homie, me, and they named it, you know, Tommy. That's Tommy. It's terrible. And dad's like, Tommy's going to die. You see why? Because sin is serious. Disobedience is serious. And so dad slaughtered Tommy, and the kids are going, Dad, you know, and he's doing this stuff. Here's the reality. The next day, when they come out of their houses, there's devastation in the land. You see, God is not a liar. And every doorpost where the lamb was painted, God just went right past. But every house that refused, everyone that said, God, there's got to be another plan, another way. God said, your firstborn is mine. That's, that's heavy stuff. That's a big deal. Sin was paid for. I want you to see this. Sin was paid for either way. Whether paid for by God's plan with the lamb or paid for by the firstborn son. Sin paid. Sin is paid in full. So, after the Exodus, we know that story, how God releases them from bondage. Those who were obedient, those who did what God said, those who followed his plan, he gets released into the promised land, they're coming. But I want you to see what happens, you see. On the way, they start to create a sacrificial system because this made a lot of sense when they were in captivity that they had to slaughter this lamb. And so they set up a whole structure full of sacrifices. We said that this morning, didn't we, in service sacrifices. They set up this whole structure of things that had to happen to appease God. And they had this priest that would come in. And I've heard a story of from history, folks who study history and stuff, I'm not a big history buff, but they would say that when you go to temple on, on the days where sacrifices were happening, which is like all the time, but then there were high times and low times, that they had to have special irrigation systems for the blood that was running out of the temple. I mean, this was a mess, and you had to bring your stuff in and every time. And what would happen is that you would come in with your sacrificial uh, lamb or your sacrificial pigeons. They had all kinds of things. If you read the rules, they were very complicated and a mess. But you come in and the animal would be slaughtered and the blood would be spilled. And then the priest would say to you, Go free. Your sins are forgiven. 
And you would come to the temple with burdens and with, with heartache and with loss and with sin and with filth. And you would leave somehow cleansed, somehow purified. And so this system went on and on. And I want to share another verse of Scripture. I'm going to pull up on the screen so you can turn there with me if you want to. We talked about this last week, and this is from a prophet. You see, prophets in Israel were coming into the time uh, that, that God was um, preparing to do something, and they started to say that some things that God was going to do. And this prophet's name was Isaiah. And Isaiah comes into the middle of the situation where there's slaughtering and there's sacrifice and there's this process for sin. And he starts to speak some words that for some people, they're just, they get very, you know, it makes their heads spin around. They're like, what is Isaiah talking about? Prophets, by the way, are always folks that you kind of think are nuts at the time. And so Isaiah, Isaiah says this, the prophet, he writes, this is verse 5 of chapter 53, by the way. You can read it later if you want or read it right now. But this is what the prophet spoke about God's solution. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Hear the next verse from the prophet. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And whenever the folks in Israel heard the prophet speaking these words, that there was a person that was going to come, he was going to be pierced for transgressions, he was going to be crushed for iniquities, that this punishment that would bring this peace with God was put upon him, and that he would be wounded for the healing of his people, they began to think, how could this be? What is this going to look like? And they began to wonder about a solution that God was bringing So let's jump ahead to the gospel of Jesus, the beginning of the New Testament. And John writes these words, and I want you to see the connection directly. The next day, that's not the next day from Isaiah, but it's the next day in John's life, right? But listen, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, he actually said, behold, right? Check it out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is John's confession about Jesus. Remember, Isaiah said there'll be one who is coming who's going to provide a solution. And then John sees this one Jesus, and he says, look, everyone. Remember John, he says, look, everyone. It's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And then we know the story of Jesus. See, Jesus would go around and... Um, he would preach great messages about the, what God is doing. He would preach great messages about the kingdom of God. And he would do things like love people who are unlovable. And people would clap. And they would, some people wouldn't clap, but the people who were in love would clap. They'd be like, this is really good. But then he would start to say some things to people like, um, I'm going to give my life for you. He would say some things like, I'm going to die so that you can be free. And often this was met with silence or with hatred, distrust. 
But this was his pattern. This is the way he would come to his people. And we know the story that he, he comes and he lives a very short time proclaiming the good news. Three years he lives sharing the good news of the kingdom that's coming. And then he goes to the cross willingly. You see, and, and this is profound because, you know, John said, behold, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one that's coming. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one that's going to deliver my people. And he's going to be slaughtered for us. Now, here's what's interesting. You and I have probably made this Jesus thing all about something else, you know. We probably made it all about, I mean, you know, whatever, the kind of how we dress, how we act, whatever. I mean, and, and the reality is that, that as Christians, that this is the core of our message, that he came to give his life for us. I want to remind you that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he was being nailed to it. He said some crazy things. He said, Father, forgive them. The one being slaughtered. The lamb, do you remember? In Exodus. That animal in the garden. And he's crying out. He's saying, Father, forgive them. You know what else he said? As he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. A pronouncement he made for the whole world, for all time. He said, the work is done. I have finished it. I've paid for sin. But I want us to think about the other side of this because we always think about how, you know, can Jesus do that and how can this be the way it is? But I want you to see that the reality from a biblical perspective, when you're thinking about the reality that in the beginning God did something, that there was a truth that God was looking as his son was being slaughtered for us, that, that angels and beings who would fly around him, Isaiah said, and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, was looking down down on the Son of God, the second uh, member of the Trinity, looking down and watching the blood pour from his body. And, and, and if you can imagine what Adam and Eve thought in the garden, if you can imagine what that kid thought when his dad was killing the lamb, I can't imagine the grief that heaven experienced as Jesus died. See, you think it was hard for the people that knew him, but we knew him for like three years. And Jesus comes, and he willingly dies for you and for me. I want you to see here the word we talked about today, substitutionary atonement. Justice had to be met, you see. And you, could, you can do it. That's not true. You can do it. But Jesus came in to do it for you. And this model that God started to show his people is continued and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We talk about being covered in the blood of Jesus, talk about being covered in his garment, to be in his train, to be caught up with him. But this is the reality of who we are. And I, he did it for us. He died for my sins. He died when I should have died. Because see, sin is serious. It's serious. 
And so this is the truth, is that in this moment, the cross of Christ comes into this place where there's no solution found. And I know you're thinking, man, this is simple, but it is. It's simple, right? And, and it comes in and it, and it stands in this gap that there's no way we could bridge. There's no way across it. And Jesus stands in as a substitute and he says, through me, you can be reconciled to God. Through him, we can be reconciled to God. And this is how Christianity works. This is the fundamental truth at the center of Christianity. I want to show you a result. One of the things that happened, and, and the word of God records this, is that in the cross of Christ, death in the cross of Christ, death was defeated. This comes in the resurrection, that there's that death is no longer an obstacle, it's an option for the children of God. One of the places in the Bible, I say this a lot, there's a few places that are scary. I hope you're reading them because I think you need to be a little scared. I think I should be a little scared sometimes. And the word of God says, don't be afraid of the one who can take your life, but be afraid of the one who can take your life and then take it again. See? Because there is eternal death. And so here in this place, Jesus overcomes through his sacrifice death itself. So, here we are. Now, I shared all this stuff with you. This core idea of Christianity. I hope you drew it on your little card. I hope you did. I hope if you didn't, you wrote, put it in your mind. You know? I hope you see it. But, but here's the truth. You see, Jesus did all this stuff. But the truth is this. Judgment day is coming. It's still coming. And that's what the word of God records for us. There's still a day coming that God's going to call every person that he created to account and say, well, what about you? What's your plan? What's your solution? And so into this equation, you might think, well, that's it. It's over. But the reality is that just like the people in the Exodus, just like Adam and Eve, we had a choice. And we still do. We still have a choice. And so the reality is that God's provided a solution for us, but we can make a decision. And the decision is this, and here it is, right? Here's the reality of the equation with God is this, that you can decide to pay for your sin yourself. I mean, that seems crazy to me, but God will let you. If you like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, yeah, <laughs> right? Forever. You can do that. God will be like, yeah, your way. Let's do it your way. And the second choice that we can make is to allow Jesus to save us, to stop kicking against him, to stop reluctant the spirit, to stop disobeying the truth, and to say that the sacrifice of God's only son is enough for me. I will take it. I will receive that. And it's absolutely critical because whether you say today you're making a decision or not, you're going to make a decision. Now, two things I, I want to just kind of share with you. The first is this. Do you understand what we talked about today? I mean, that's the first goal today. I just want to make it very clear and try to make it as clear as I possibly can of what God's plan is. This is what we believe at Family Bible Church. I think this is what every believer in Jesus believes. I think if people can find an alternative solution to this, they don't believe the Messiah. 
They don't believe the one that God sent because this is what God said would happen. This is what Jesus said would happen. And this is the plan. So I want to say this. If you understand this, if you got it, I want you to take your card and I want you to write down there, I understand. It's good. If, if you've never understood it and today is the day you understand it, write it down, I understand it today. That's half the thing right there. John said this in the opening of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. I'm just going to read it to you. John said, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And so the second truth is this. You have to understand it, but you have to receive it. And so I'm going to ask you, straight up today, you got the facts, you got the data, do you accept it today? Do you receive Jesus' substitutionary atonement for you? Have you done it before? And if you've accepted it before, right on there, I've received it. And if you haven't, and today, you're like, man, I'm going to receive that today. I'm just going to take God at his word. Then you write, I received it. Because ultimately, this is where we're at. And this is a decision we're going to make. So I'm going to pray. And we're going we're to finish with a, a worship song today. And, and we're going to be dismissed. But I, I want you to sit on that for a minute and ask, do I understand it? And have I received it? And in all its totality, have I received it? Join me in praying today. Father God, I feel first compelled to just apologize for us not always being willing to accept your plan. That as you move in our lives and as you draw us into places that, that we think, well, we don't belong or this is a mistake or this isn't right, that you know what you're doing in our lives and, and we're being disobedient. I pray we'll be obedient to you in those places. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would give understanding to the gospel. And I pray, Father God, that not only will we understand it, but we receive it. That we would say, that's it. That's my plan on Judgment Day. That's my plan. When asked the question, how can you stand rightly before me? Well, I'm going to say, Jesus saved me. Your son was enough for me. And if today, I'm going to ask you, if you're here today, keep, your, keep, keep praying with you for a minute, but if you're here today, I'm not going to say these words out loud, but I want you to say them in your heart. If today is your day, and today is the day that God has finally said to you, stop reluctant, stop resisting my plan for you, I'm going to invite you to just pray with me, just pray quietly with me, and all you're going to say is that today is my day. I'm going to receive that from you, Jesus. I'm going to accept what you've done on my behalf. And I'm going to ask you now, Father, to move in my life, to draw me near to you. To make the reality of Jesus' forgiveness and his leadership in my life come true. And we're going to praise you, praise you, praise you because of the work you do. We pray these things because Jesus is able. 
pray in his name.